Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, Zach Van Norman, and I am joined by my co-host, Amy Hood, and Ashley Benson. Amy, how are you, love? Well, I'm wearing a tiara and an Alice in Wonderland shirt, so it's a good time here. How are you guys? I'm doing good. Ashley, how are you? I'm doing famously. It was like 60 degrees or something here in Chicago in November, so I was like, oh, bikini time, going to the beach. Let's go. <laughs> so awesome. It's, 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 it's a rare treat when you don't have to, like, bundle up like you're going to the North Pole when you have to walk to work. So. Uh, I uh I typically save my um I typically save my bikini weather for December when it's sixties, but that's just me. You know, my, I'm sorry, my, can't all live on the west coast. Oh Yeah, you know, that, that save your bikinis for December and give everyone a little bit of a Christmas spirit. Um so yeah. Um it's getting a little balmy here in uh, Southern California too, I must say. It's getting quite chilly, like I can't leave my window open the way that I used to and uh hoodie Aww. and long Long sleeves and pants are required, so yeah, kind of find that really interesting. I uh, just want to let everybody know that we do have the chat room open, so if you are joining us live and you want to be in the chat room, go ahead and log into that. I'll issue our usual disclaimer and let you know that it sometimes takes a couple of page refreshes before it actually loads, so uh, if you don't see it at first, try try again because it will come up for you. We've already got some people in there. We give a shout out to uh, all of his new black, Angie Konisberg, Rose Mason. I see all of you in there. So it's great to stare. Um, and I know I just called you all of his new black because I am honestly blanking on what your real life name is as opposed to your online name. No, please don't Amy. Amy, hi, Amy. Okay. Hi. Okay, hi. I see you. I see you. In the chat. Jake, hi. Okay. So, anyways, I'm just being a little bit of a spaz. So let's go ahead and get into our news roundup because we've got a few things to discuss, including some breaking news just from today about some casting that's going on for season 4B. I'm excited Yay. about that. So uh, last week, as we let everybody know in a couple of weeks beforehand, the Once Upon a Fan site had our annual pumpkin contest where we asked people to either carve pumpkins themed to Once Upon a Time or paint them or you know just create a pumpkin with some kind of theme. We had some really cool submissions, and I am happy to announce that the Sorcerer's Apprentice Pumpkin was the grand winner, which was carved by Rose Mason, who is in our chat room. So, Rose, congratulations, darling. Um, yeah, it was yeah. a real it was it was an amazing piece of pumpkinery, pumpkinry, and I really <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed seeing it. Kudos to you on your talent. And then we also had um, Tina Gambriosi, who had the royal carriage, and she was another one of our winners. So congratulations to you both on your pumpkin. They were gorgeous. And I know Rose told me that, I think, you can correct me, Rose, didn't you mention that it took you six hours to carve that sorcerer pumpkin? Holy I'm sure cow. It was six hours, yeah. <laughs> but they were both beautiful, and all the entries, I would have been proud, literally, to have every one of them lined. My my uh my porch to Halloween. Agreed. Uh, there was some formidable talent going on there, and it's honestly the the craftsmanship and the time spent on it, as far as six hours, um, it shows, Rose. So um, and as she's saying in the chat now that she was standing the entire time. Well, even more kudos to you then, my friend, because you did an excellent job. It, it was beautiful, and I look forward to seeing 
similar work next year, as well as any other kind of artwork that you've come up with, because I think that you've got some really good talent going on. So I just want to acknowledge that for you really quickly, my friend. All right. Um, there was not really that much in the way of the Snow Queen, which is a new villain this half of the season. However, um, because we didn't have any pumpkins with the Snow Queen doesn't mean that we don't have any news about her character, albeit a younger version. And Amy has some information about that for us. I am so insanely excited about this casting. Like, I could literally chew my own leg off right now. I don't know how many of you watch The Walking Dead, but I get comments all the time from oneers who mention, hey, did you see this in The Walking Dead? Did you see that? So I think we do have a good portion of people that watch it. Well, the character actress, uh, Brighton Charbino, Charbino, sorry, who played Lizzie, is, has been cast as the young Snow Queen. And I am ridiculously excited. I can't explain to you how fabulous this girl is other than to say that there were literally two or three episodes that she performed in of The Walking Dead where her performance disturbed me so much that I almost quit watching the show completely because I, like, I could not, and nothing does that to me. So I, I'm so excited to see her. She was, everybody, if you ask anybody, if you have not watched the show, she is the creepy of the creepy, and she was not a zombie. So, oh, my God, I'm so excited that Brighton Charvino is coming to Once Upon a Time as the young Snow Queen. She has that whole, you know, quiet, subtle thing about her that we see with Elizabeth Mitchell's portrayal of the Snow Queen. So I think that that's going to transfer really well as far as her playing the younger version. Well, I'm excited now because I don't watch The Walking Dead. I just know of her character because like a, a thing with flowers. Or, I don't know. I really yes. like ah, it. I don't know anything. Yes. <laughs> but I do know that I saw a picture of her on Facebook when it was announced, and then like right under while I was scrolling, there was a picture of Elizabeth Mitchell, that really creepy one where she's looking dead on through the bars of the um, of Anna's cell. And mm-hmm twins like i don't know how the casting folks do it like what deal they made with what dark one but <laughs> she looks like a young elizabeth mitchell too so i am hearing you talk about her performance on the walking dead i am super pumped to see what she has to bring to the table because the snow queen is really growing on me as a character and to have that caliber of a young actress um like portray her in the backstory episode, oh, it's, it's going it's to be good. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm not one yeah. of these that was already into it. I came into Walking Dead really late. In fact, the episodes that creeped me out so much had already aired, and I had already been spoiled on what was going to happen. Thank God, because seriously, if I was that disturbed after seeing it, knowing what was happening... I do not think I'd, I'd still be watching it. I she, Oh, my God. I can't even. <laughs> you guys will have to just go back and watch these, just these couple of episodes. If, you, if you're not a watcher, go back and watch these few episodes from, I think it's season four. Ugh. Yeah. They will, like, totally destroy your brain. <laughs> I do not watch The Walking Dead because um, zombies freak me out. Um, I do enjoy... <laughs> I do enjoy Shaun of the Dead. I think that's great. And for whatever reason, 
I quite enjoy um, George Romero's movies, particularly Dawn of the Dead, the remake in 2007. Um, I really like that movie a lot. I think it's a pretty good remake for a zombie movie. Um, I also enjoy Land of the Dead, which is the one with John Leguizamo in it, uh-huh. um, and Dennis Hopper, in part because I went to the premiere at a Vegas film festival and met not only those two gentlemen, but also Nicolas Cage. So I am impartial to that movie because I was, like, there, and it was awesome. So, yeah, I, I do like those two movies. I the Cage. I'm jealous. Um, well, Nicholas Cage is a time traveler because there's a picture from like the 1800s of a man who looks just like John Travolta. So he, or excuse me, Nicholas Cage. So he either is a time traveler or he's a vampire or he's a time traveling vampire, one or the other. And that's he and Pharrell uh, and Keanu Reeves have a vampire coven somewhere, I'm pretty sure, because they are all timeless and it, it creeps me out. It's creepy. Um, as far as Brighton Sharbino being cast as the young Snow Queen, um, Ashley, when you said that they're pretty much twins. Veronica Collins Rooney and the casting department have knocked it out of the park again. I feel the same way about this casting as when they cast um, Bailey Madison as a young Snow White. Yeah. Um, both, both of these younger actresses look exactly like the older um, versions of themselves. So I think that that's awesome. Um, they're doing a really good job and lots of good choices as far as, you know, casting goes. Oh, look at that. Speaking of choices. I believe that Ashley has some news on the People's Choice Awards for us. I do, and I think this is really exciting. Um, Once Upon a Time has officially made it into five People's Choice categories. That is awesome, you know, especially for a sci-fi fantasy show on network television. And uh, the categories that Once Upon a Time um, is in uh, is uh, the entire show, Once Upon a Time, is going up for favorite TV show and favorite network TV sci-fi slash fantasy. My Sean Connery is coming out. Fantasy show. Um, (laughs) Jennifer Morrison and Jennifer Goodwin are both up uh, individually for favorite sci-fi slash fantasy actress. And, oh, Jennifer Morrison, uh, Morrison, continue. And Jennifer Goodwin and uh, Josh Dallas are up together um, for the category of favorite TV duo. But the thing that I like the most about what we've uh, got uh, nominated for is that the character, Neil Cassidy, our very own Neil Fire, is up for TV character that we miss the most. Wow. I think, you know, that says a lot about... Uh, the uh, performance that went into that character and everything. But I just think it's great that uh, Once Upon a Time is getting so much representation um, on a major award show. Yes. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think that it's great. (laughs) And I believe you could – I I am so – out of the loop with the people, how the People's Choice works nowadays. You, I believe we still continue to vote now. Now that we're officially locked in for the categories, we do continue to vote until up until the airing, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Yes, and you can vote, vote more than once. So you, you could go in every day and vote for these uh, each of the categories. All right, well, you hear that one through? Get on it. Let's go. <laughs> do it. Get to get to voting because it's um they have nobody has won a People's Choice Award since they started doing this, so it's 
so they really need you know we need to see some representation because um <clears throat> jennifer morrison uh, she, people, somebody needs to get a people's choice award um i just feel that it's time it's once upon a time as a matter of fact so uh, it is. i think that this, that it's important that we do that um i really really want um I just I want somebody to win for crying out loud, and I would love it. I think it would be so sweet if Jennifer Morrison won, and then also if um, Michael Orman James won for Neil and being the TV character that we missed the most. I think that would be awesome. Um, I just think that would be great. yeah, be a good pairing there. Um, and our next news bulletin has to do with the title of the winter finale, as it was revealed. It's going to be heroes and villains. Um, I think that that is an apt title, considering that you know, for a lot of season three, especially in the in the uh, in the heart of the truest believer, heart of the truest believer, um, that Regina and Hook had their conversation about whether or not villains get a happy ending. They talked about it in Going Home, the winter finale for last season. Uh, it's obviously been an ongoing theme for this year. They're wanting to change the storybook and get her happy ending going on. So I think that it's perfectly, um, it's a really good title. Um, the second half of it, uh, I find very interesting um, uh, because of the fact that it's it says heroes and villains. And even though we have um, our villain in Ingrid, the fabulous Snow Queen, we also know that Maleficent is coming, so mm-hmm. we have that to look in the second half of the season. But also, it kind of piggybacks off of the news that was announced today, um, which is that they have cast Victoria Smurfin. Smurfin? Smurfit? 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 Yep, Smurfit. They have cast her uh, yes, yeah, so Victoria Smurfette, uh, just kidding, Smurfette, was cast away as a so as yet unrevealed iconic character on Once Upon a Time in the second half of the season. Um, and I think that I know who it is, and it's actually, and I'm going to just go ahead and that right now. I think that she is playing Corella Deville, and. I really do think so. She kind of looks like she would, she's got the cheekbones for it, I think. So she's got that in her physicality. But also, um, there is another reason why I think that she is <laughs> playing Crow the Bone. And it's actually been hinted at, at in the show already in two episodes. It was hinted at in Family Business, as well as last week's episode, Breaking Glass. And here's what it is. In both of those episodes... Somebody had a line, whether it was uh, Rumpelstiltskin, or, or actually, excuse me, it might not have been Breaking Glass. It might have been the episode before that. But first Rumpel and then the Snow Queen both said the same thing. You need to get a warm coat because it's getting chilly in here. Now, most mm. people would have taken that to be a hint as, oh, okay, haha, it's a play on the fact that it's a snow queen and it's cold outside. However, a warm coat as in Cruella wanting her Dalmatian coat. Get it? They're telling us already who it is. It's Cruella de Vil, yeah. I'm telling you. I did not even key into that. I, I was just going on the fact that I think that they, Adam and Eddie have said in interviews that they would love to have her on the show, and I was like, oh, well, clearly, yes. But 
oh, I didn't even think about that with the coat. Because imagine, I, and, and when they would say those lines, I, in my head for some reason would pop up this big furry contraption like Game of Thrones style, just unconsciously, and that fits right in with world of all like, good tech. Mm-hmm. And you know, with once having a dark turn on it, a couple of us at Once Upon a Fan, Maury had been talking about it today, about the theory that maybe it's not Dalmatian coats that this version of Cruella is after, which I love the dark idea that maybe she's after, like, wolf pelts or werewolf pelts, like, if this is going to be a red arc maybe coming. So I I loved that idea, if that is who she's going to be. I love when they do the dark stuff. <laughs> I, I could yeah, totally dig a dark and twisty take on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Angie is saying in the chat that Corella wouldn't be much of a threat, no magic, and she just wants to steal puppies. Depends on how they play it. Um, uh-huh. Especially if they go with Maury Lazaro's idea that um, perhaps she is hunting werewolf pelts in order to keep her young because that's what werewolf pelts would do, uh, which I think is a fascinating idea. And I uh-huh. think that it would be good. Now, even though Corella doesn't necessarily have magic in the animated version of the story, um, the fact that they would probably be placing her into Once Upon a Time gives the possibility that she does have magic in some way that we just don't know about yet. Uh, it may be a kind of thing perhaps where she's almost like Bran from uh, Game of Thrones where she can control the minds of animals or something. Um, there's a lot of possibilities with Corella DeVille being on the show and what kind of magic that she could have. So, uh, And even if there is no magic with her, I think that's okay. I think that we've got enough magic coming with uh, Maleficent. And everything ah, that's going yes. to be going her. Um, I also think the fact that, and Amy, you had mentioned this too, so if you want to speak more on this, please do so, because I think that you hit on an idea that is really, really excellent as far as the fact that the finale is called Heroes and Villains and mm-hmm. Regina tr- changed the story. Amy, please share your idea that I heard you, I saw you say earlier today. I hope, 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 hope. You all, you guys know how much I love villains. I hope that in Operation, uh, I almost called it Operation Monkey, Operation Mongoose, with Regina getting to get the stories rewritten where we're getting villains with happy endings, I hope that that opens the door for multiple villains. I, I said before that I feel like that, going to have something to do with how we're able to get Maleficent back and alive. But I hope that that opens the door and that we're getting, you know, Maleficent. We get Cruella, who's Zach and a couple other people definitely think that Victoria Smurfett's going to be. I would love to see that that means that we get Best Matter back as Delina, who is yes. campy and fabulous and uh, bring on every villain, Jafar, just throw them all in there, Rumpelstiltskin, get him, you know, impy and up the stuff again. Oh, love it, love it, love, 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 love. I, I really like that love. theory. <laughs> that would make I, me so happy. You know what, and it kind of makes me think a little because the title is Heroes and Villains, and I know um, in past seasons and past episodes it's always talk about, well, who's the hero and who's the villain of their own story, and clearly with Regina's goal of wanting the villains to get happy endings, I wonder if there would almost be like a flip-flop 
where you have these quote unquote villains, but they're actually the protagonists and then mm. our once upon a time favorites are more of an antagonist. I know it kind of goes with what, what's been cooking up in the uh what the Snow Queen's cooking up uh this episode. So maybe they're gonna tease along that. I don't know. This is still a half form theory for me, but the more we get with these episodes, the the more questions I have, but the more I think I understand. It's 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 very confusing and I love it. I, I love think it that it's really possible that we're going to see not only more of a villain turnout, but I also think that we're going to see them winning more. Um, if you'll recall from the pilot, the whole point of Regina casting the curses in the first place was because, and she actually said this in an apparatus blood, I just wanted to win for once. Mm-hmm. And I really think that with it being called Heroes and Villains, the book coming into play, Maleficent, and now probably Cruella de Vil, the Snow Queen, I think that we're going to be looking at a situation in the second half of the season where the villains are winning. They're getting their way. The happy things are slowly getting taken away because that will, in turn, play into Emma's storyline of really assuming her role as the savior and bringing back all the happy endings. Emma still has to go through a major rite of passage in assuming her title and assuming her throne, so to speak. She has to go mm-hmm. through something major in order to earn that title. She can't, I mean, breaking the curse was not enough because we haven't had a whole lot of happy endings since then. Emma ultimately mm-hmm. will be endings about, and the only way for that to happen is that there is a major challenge to the good side by all the villains. So that's just what I think about that. It makes sense from a storytelling point. It makes sense with everything that's going on the show right now. The fact that we have not only the Snow Queen, but we've got Regina, we've got Rumpel, we've got probably Maleficent, probably Cruella Deville. We've already seen Jafar in Wonderland. The fact that the book mm-hmm. coming into Emma's storyline, all of these things are about to converge in a huge way. They are really, I think, now starting to set things up for some endgame pieces. They're moving pieces around on the chessboard in a new way. I think that some major stuff is about to begin happening because at this point in the game, the show is probably only going to go for maybe six, seven seasons at most, I would predict. Um, I it might go on long. Before jumps on me. It might go on for longer than that. But the reality of it is, you know, we're looking, you know, the end of the show is closer now than it ever has been before because we're so far into it. So at a certain point, things have to start changing. Um, if you kind of think of it as a three-act structure almost, um, it kind of makes sense for the show to only go for six seasons because the first and second half would have been the first act, or the first and second season would have been the first act, rather. Seasons three and four would be act two, where everything starts going wrong, hence the villains coming into power. And then act three would be where, you know, everything comes to a head and, you know, the good side wins. So I really think that if you, you know, I I predict that the show will probably go for six seasons, seven if we're lucky, but some major mm-hmm. things are about to be on the show, and all of these plots are going to start converging. I love it. I completely oh. agree. Yeah. And speaking um, of people we- coming to the set and visiting and things, we heard that Team 7 <laughs> were all on set filming recently. And speaking of them, two of our friends who we've talked to on the podcast before, Big Macario, who plays basketball, and Jeff Kaiser, who plays Dopey, we had them on the podcast a couple times, and they have the Geek On Out website and uh, YouTube show 
And they actually invited Zach to walk go around with them. And there's a hilarious segment. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Zach kind of takes them around some of the the eateries of is it called Pike's Place? You have to tell us about yep. that because I'm not familiar with Seattle. Other than yeah, it's it's, uh, it's Pike Place Market, which is a staple in Seattle. It is, um, I mean, it's one of the most famous things that Seattle is known for. Um, it's a market that started out as a local farmer's market um, back in the early 1900s, and it was just a place for local farmers and fishermen to you know, sell their goods to the locals, and it has since become, um, a, like I said, it's a staple of Seattle. And so what we did was uh, they let me know that they were on their way down, wanted to know if I would mind taking them around on uh, you know, like a food tour and take them to my picks, for some of the best food at Pike's Place Market in Seattle. For those of you who are in the chat room, if you haven't seen it, I just posted the link um, in the oh, chat room. So feel, free to, <laughs> so feel free to go watch it. Um, the places that we stopped by, the first one was Poroshki Poroshki, which is a Russian bakery slash pastry shop, which makes some of the most delicious pastries and Russian baked goods that you will ever have in your life. Uh, they have over, I think they have like 20, 25 different variations of piroshkis. They have one that's like spinach, ham, and cheese. They have an apple cinnamon one. I mean, the menu really it goes on and on, and they're absolutely delicious. The ones that I had them try, um, only one of them I think made it to the video, which was the uh, salmon pate piroshki is on there, but it is um, one of the local favorites, and it typically, um, if it's not already if the batch isn't completely gone then there's only like one or two left and they're having to bake more they have to bake them multiple times a day because they're so popular the other one that i had them try was the apple cinnamon um piroshki because you cannot be hanging out with two of the seven dwarves from once upon a time and not treat them to something with an apple in it yeah yeah um it was and it was delicious they found it to be really good uh, we walked through pike place market uh, we tried some hot chili jelly um like the, yeah yeah it's like super spicy jelly that you like basically mix with cream cheese and put with like crackers and things like that kind of a holiday staple um mm, we went I'm making to, a face right now we went to eleno greek yogurt which has it's an amazing amazing greek yogurt they have all kinds of flavors they had pumpkin pie for their seasonal one this year you have marionberry, lemon, frozen, or was it just yogurt, not yogurt? Not no, frozen. it's yogurt, okay. yogurt. And the one that I had them try was their passion fruit yogurt. If you're ever in Seattle, the places that I'm naming off, you've got to go. Um, yeah, we've, we've actually sampled three or four different flavors before we decided on the passion fruit one um, because that was just, you know, the one that we decided was our favorite. It's my favorite. It's the one that I get every time. So that was just the one that we went for. Um, after that, we went to a place called Sina's, Sina's, excuse me, which is not actually in Pike Place Market. It's on First and Pike or Pine, one of those two streets, and it is a um, it's a Euro place. So me and Jeff had lamb euros, and um, Meg just had a he had a like a veggie falafel. So we had that. They also were nice enough to gift me with a card that Jeff created. Um, it has their autographs on it. Thanks a lot, guys. I still appreciate that. I have it up in my room. And they basically um, kind of 
Jeff designed it, and he painted himself as um, Darth Vader without the helmet on, and then Mig was Thor. And it's adorable, and I absolutely love it. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much what happened with uh, Geek On Out. Like I said, if you're in the chat room and you want to check it out, then you can. Um, I put the link there, and I suppose we can put the link on the the uh, Twitter and Facebook pages for the podcast, but I don't really want to self-aggrandize with that and be all like, hey, look at my stuff. So, um, <laughs> I retweeted it on my personal Twitter, so... Me too, because I thought it was well, really you. neat for the, and I think the that the fans of the show like really like seeing other fans interact with you know the cast and stuff. So I thought it was something really great to share. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, it was a really good time, and I they were quite gracious to me and just really cool, fun guys. I cannot say enough nice things about Meg and Jeff. So thanks, guys, for hanging out with me that day. I really do appreciate it. We had all kinds of conversations about things. Um, it was just really fun to, to sit and relax with them in a more relaxed atmosphere because when I've interacted with cast before, it's been at Comic-Con or Enchanticon, and it it was more of like a working capacity. Ashley, you can attest to this. Actually, Amy, so can you. Um, all three mm-hmm. of us have had interactions with the cast at Con. So um, as the two of you know, you as much as it might seem like it's really fun to get to go to these things and interact with the cast, but at the same time, you're there to do a job. We have a schedule. Uh, They have a schedule. There's only so much that you can do. You don't really get to have that kind of personal interaction as much as you might think um, because uh, ultimately our job at the end of the day is to bring you guys the news. So we have to focus on that. So it was really nice to just get to chill with them in a more relaxed atmosphere and um, just hang out and talk about things that, I mean, just real life, everyday stuff. Honestly, um, it was really super cool. So it was on. It was really, really fun. Uh, we have already. Uh, wow, that was a half an hour worth of new stuff. Okay, cool. So um, for those of you who are, before we get into the actual podcast discussion um, for the episode, I just want to make a quick programming note here. Last week, when we were talking on the podcast, we ended up getting into a discussion about forgiveness um, of other people and things like that. And that discussion generated quite a bit of buzz in the chat room. And from everything that we saw and heard, it was something that really people liked hearing. So we're going to continue that through the podcast and start talking about not only the episode itself and what happened in it, but the themes that it's touching on, Um, the things that these characters go through, um, their experiences and how that relates to everyday life. So as we go through this week's podcast, we're going to be getting into that kind of discussion again, and it's going to continue from here on out as well. We hope that you will join us in the podcast chat room if you want to um, share your thoughts. I'm sure that most of you will. If any of you would like to call in when we get to that part of the discussion, please do so. number is 347-677-1653. We'll make sure that we post that in the chat room as well, (coughs) Amy. So um, don't worry about that. We'll have the number there for you. Um, so, yeah, this episode altogether, um, th- this season, honestly, it, every episode, every week, it keeps getting better and better for me. The Snow Queen story in particular, her plot, her interaction with Elsa and Anna and Emma, it just keeps getting deeper. The mystery is getting, they're revealing more, and yet at the same time, I feel like 
the stuff that has yet to be revealed is really, it's weird how this one is like, the mystery is getting deeper, even though they are revealing more stuff. And I don't know how the two of you feel about it, but um, Ashley, I would like to begin with you and what you think. Oh, sure. I mean, I really enjoyed this episode. I admit I had a couple just little little technical things that I was like, okay, really? But on the whole, I was at the edge of my seat because I found myself, like you said, as the mystery deepens and you get more information, you you kind of don't know what to do with it. Like I found myself watching Rumple and watching the Snow Queen and even at the beginning of the episode going, okay, so I know this about them and I know this about them, so I'm inferring all of this other information and then we'll find something out later on in the episode. I'm like, well, all those theories are gone because the game changer, um, like the the whole thing with the sisters. I was like, okay, wait, what? I, and I love it. I, I love the fact that this episode and the season as a whole really has kind of caught me off guard, not in a bad way, but in a way that is making me more of an active viewer. I think, like, I find myself thinking very hard about what's going on on the show. I'm thinking, okay, so where are the motivations? What is going on? Why is this thing happening? What is the significance of this person's plan? And I think it makes it more fun, like, to just sit there and tease out the tangles of the mystery. That that makes for great TV for me. Great. I... I totally, completely agree with what both of you said. There were so many little reveals that have been happening, and a lot of information has been given out, so we know a lot more than we did before. But I swear to God, I have so many questions now. I have more questions now than I did before they started with the reveals. Like, where did this prophecy come from? And what, what, what I, I, uh, I have lists of questions so many questions, but I love it. I always love when we get backstory and I love the reveal and I really like that Emma is kind of getting to step back into, you know, that savior role and, you know, she's in the forefront and being an active participant. So I'm excited and I cannot wait to see how this is going to play out. I love the Snow Queen. I think she's absolutely bag of cats crazy but love her so the the more that gets put out there the more questions I have but overall I have really loved this season so far yeah I'm right there with you so let's get into the actual episode discussion itself because I'm really there are a lot of things that happen in this one that I really want to discuss particularly with the snow queen and her mirror um which will actually be the jumping off point for our deeper discussion on this week's episode. So um, Sunday's episode, Family Business, opens up with a flashback to the Enchanted Forest, and we see a woman who was Belle's mother, Colette, collecting books from her shelves, and the castle guards are urging her to leave for safety. Um, As we kind of predicted, this is where Belle's love of literature and books comes from. Uh, Belle comes into the room clutching her most prized possession, which is a book that she and her mother read together. Um, And, of course, they're urged to go. But before they can flee, ogres crash into the library. Belle and her mother hide, and they stay as quiet as possible, since we know that ogres hunt by sound. Colette comforts Belle. She urges her to be quiet, but it is all for nothing as the ogre upends the table that they're hiding under and discovers them. 
suddenly Belle is waking up in bed. And to be honest, when Belle woke up and she cried out, Mother, I thought that she was waking up in Storybrooke at first. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and then, the yeah, uh, right down to the even coloring of the sheets and everything. It was the same mm-hmm. as her bedroom crumple. Um, however, as it is revealed, she is actually having a nightmare in the Enchanted Forest. And she goes to look for her father. She, he, Maurice, is, you know, he's with a crowd that's gathered in the castle. She, he tells her that she needs to be in bed, but Belle wants to know where her mother is. And then the crowd parts, and we see that there is a coffin there. And Belle's mother did not survive the encounter with the ogres. Now, um, as it was noted by Ashley in her recap on Spoiler TV, which you can go find if you want, um, this flashback is the only time that we see Colette and Belle interacting. And as Ashley also noted, that is very disappointing. Hmm. I thought that that was going to have more of a role to play in this episode. Um, I am also intrigued by the fact that she survived, yet Belle did not, and Belle does not remember. Um, it makes me think that the rock trolls has something to do with that. I don't know about the two of you, but there's something off there. Why did Belle no. survive and Colette didn't? Belle seemed to survive without a scratch on her, but Colette died. Or did she die? I don't know. It's uh, it was intriguing to me. I seriously I hope that there's more to it. Like I was, I was just, just going to say, say, because I was disappointed that we got her for all of, like, a minute, and then, you know, then she's gone, and it's like, oh, well, Belle suddenly doesn't remember. I really, really hope that there is something more to it, something sinister, somebody took the memories, or she's not actually dead or something is happening there. Cause otherwise I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed with the, the abruptness of the scene. For me, I, they made such a big deal about, and, and Zach actually, this is, these are Zach's words, made such a big deal about this actress being cast in this role only to have her have this short amount of time. So initially I was like, well, come on. But I thought about it more, and I realized, I mean, we characters come back all the time on once. They come back frequently. Case in point, uh, Cora. Did anybody think that they'd see Barbara Hershey again in season one, and then, you know, when she showed up in season two, it melted our faces off with, oh, no, now we're in some deep trouble? Um, did anybody see that coming? No. So I really... I have hope that we are going to see this actress again in this role. I'm very interested to find out what that is because I do think that obviously Belle is, or rather Colette is a, a huge part of why Belle is the way she is, not only with her love of literature, but as we'll see later on the in the episode in the recap of her tenacity, her need to, to be a hero, to, be, to get out there and, and, and do things and, adventure um just to have somebody with that much influence over one of our regular characters lives and to have her not be explored would be a shame agree yeah i think that we'll see her back i don't think that we're entirely done with colette on the show um yeah i i think that there's going to be more to come with her there better be at least um, 
just because I I think that there's something off there. I, I don't even think that she's really dead, to be honest. I think that something happened. I mean, you know, like the Snow Queen said, some memories are too painful. Um, you know, hmm. something is... Something is going on. I mean, just the fact alone that Belle survived this encounter and her mother didn't, and Belle has, like, not a scratch on her. There's something weird there. There, there just is. Uh, There's just something bizarre about the whole situation. Meanwhile, yeah, there's just something. There's just something. (laughs) Um, Cut to to today's story, but Russell Stilskin is in his shop. He's checking on things in his safe, like the hat box. Um, perhaps there's a hat box ghost in there. Haha, <laughs> shout out to Haunted Mansion fan. And the true Yay. dagger. Um, Belle arrives and she almost catches Rumple um, with, you know, the dagger. She is in very much in a hurry because Emma just rang. She needs to see both of them at the sheriff's station. Meanwhile, at the sheriff's station, Emma and the rest of our heroes slash villains slash go back and forth have gathered around as she shows them the video of her past featuring the Snow Queen. Most of them, I mean, are really surprised at that fact. Although Emma seems to be more concerned that the memories of her childhood are missing as well as her encounter with the Snow Queen in Storybrooke. Everybody wants to know how the Snow Queen came to this world if it wasn't via a curse. And I wonder about that. I wonder if, because something... The, the interaction that the Snow Queen and Rumpelstiltskin have, have implies that there was a past deal made. And okay. I'm wondering if she came to Storybrooke with the rest of town, you know, with the rest of the citizens, rather, but that she kept her memory and that she was not confined to Storybrooke the way that everybody else was. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think that there could be... Um, uh, but yeah, there's just something there. Um, something there. Again, it's part, like what we were saying earlier. It's part of the mystery where the more information we get, the more questions that we have. Which, as Ashley, you pointed out, that's what makes great television. And that this storyline, specifically these kinds of things, is what is really making this season stand out to me. And it, as many people have noted, it feels a lot more like season one than the show mm-hmm. did in season two or three. And we're back to a mystery of figuring things out. Um, we're getting pieces of information on the flashbacks, and then we're waiting for everybody in present day storybook to kind of catch up. Um, mm-hmm. um, I would also like to say that it was really cool to see so many of our main characters gathered in one place all at once for a change. Um, I'm really, I love really that shot of them looking at the TV. That's one, yes. of, that's one of my favorite shots of them all kind of studying the video. Because I think it brings a, uh, it shows the unity that these characters have that they didn't really have in season one, and, and it's just without any words, it kind of shows how far we've come. Because think about it in season one, would we have like if Gold and Regina and Emma were in the same room with Henry, like things would be on fire and people would be running screaming in terror. But now they're all working together on that common goal, and they're all focused on that video, that common goal, and that common threat. And I just, I like that. Right, and we rarely get all of the core cast or the majority of the core cast all together in one shot, unless, you know, Granny's having a, a boozer at, at the diner or something. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. 
pretty much every main character is in that shot. Yeah. Every one of them. Um, I'm, like, doing a mental, you know, like, head count in my head now. Like, uh, yeah. I am, too. And you know what? Every one of them is there. Like, all of them. There are... One, two, three, four, Season five, four DVD six, cover. Go. There are, right. <laughs> there are nine characters in that one shot alone. In this one scene, there are nine of them there. Um... I don't, I don't remember the last time that that happened. Because even, like, in season three, when they – I mean, actually, you know what? That's when it was. Going home was the last time that we saw all of them together in this way. Uh-huh. Because even though – even after that, even after they arrived back in the Enchanted Forest, Emma and Henry weren't there. So we did not see all of them together the way that we're seeing now. And um, right. I really like the fact that they're all getting involved on this. Um Meanwhile, Henry, in order, and they're trying to figure out, too, the whole point of this scene is that they're trying to find out where the Snow Queen is. They kind of figure that she's in the North Woods. So Henry says, you know, why don't we just go search her ice cream truck? And I was like, whoa, she has an ice cream truck? And Henry goes, I'm a kid. I notice these things. Um, <laughs> it would, I mean, just just on a made-me-laugh note, it might be nice if Emma the Sheriff or David the Sheriff would notice these things. But I understand that Henry... Um, you know, the, their powers of investigation are perhaps being clouded by the dark side. Um, but And, you know, and I'm really convinced that, you know, the people of Storybrooke and the Enchanted Forest can use the Force because every time any of the villains need to get somebody, you know, to shut up, they do the Vader chokehold on them. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that the Forest has something to do. You know, maybe that's some unknown enchantment like what Regina mentioned last week in Breaking Glass. You know. it could be. So they decide that they're going to split up. Rumpel's going to go, you know, do it alone. And yeah, he, he goes and he... Yeah. And um, he's going to go work on it by himself. And Belle wants to work on it by herself, too. She's going to go work in the library. Elsa, of course, is like, maybe there's more information about my sister in the library. And honestly, when she said that, I wanted to be like, actually, honey, you'd probably find more information about your sister if you went to the Blu-ray section of your local Storybrooke Walmart, because that's where Frozen is. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you yeah. think she should have so, went to the Frozen section at the uh, supermarket? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the- Has anyone checked the Frozen veggies and... And potato section. Yeah, that's what and, and and then you know how they always have those things that are like hanging on the outside, like the little impulse items that they want you to have. Yeah, little stuffed Olaf yeah. right there. And on the other, <laughs> you, you, yeah, I'm going to Target tomorrow, and I'm going to put a bunch of frozen DVDs in with the frozen peas, just just because. Oh God! Oh my oh, God! Please, oh, you know what? Let's do it together, and we'll post them. On, we'll post them on Twitter. <laughs> Holy the cow! <laughs> Let's do it. No, um, I won. If you end up going to a store tomorrow, you do it too, so then all three of us can be on night together. Um, I'm kind of half kidding, half serious about this, too. I actually kind of want to do it now. Um, so, so, <laughs> so meanwhile, um, Belle is not comfortable with Elsa joining her, but, you know, she kind of has to go with it because she doesn't want to let anybody know that she knows more than what she's letting on. She's doing a good job of keeping secrets, just like her husband, I just want to say. Um mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back in the Enchanted Forest, Belle is up late reading because, you know, she does. Maurice comes in, and Belle is really upset that she can't remember her last moments with her mother, and Maurice says that the answers that she wants will not be found in her books. 
Okay. First of all, first of all, why is Maurice always such a jerk to Belle? Can we discuss that first? He's always just an ass, and I don't understand why. He is. His his mode of parenting is well, let's keep her. Let's not tell her anything. Parenting by omission, like gonna keep her in the dark and it'll keep her safe. And it's like, well, clearly, you know, yeah. Belle's mother is like, well, no, to hell with that. All the books, yeah, ever, let's have her read. Read. So I just I don't understand why Maurice Mo French, whatever you want to call him, continues to think that that's going to work with Belle because we've seen time and time and again she's like, nah, man. No, no dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like you totally know he bought her the you know the Robin Hood men in tights metal chastity belt with the big whole lock <laughs> and everything. <laughs> He's like that kind of dad. <laughs> yes, exactly. <sighs> he is an ass. <laughs> yeah, he he he's just like. He and King George, like, really, for me, run the neck-and-neck uh, and neck in the worst father of the year of Storybrooke. Uh, yeah. yeah, because Cora's already dead by that point. So, yeah, I agree. Hmm. <sighs> okay. Oh, I was, yeah. Um, yeah, Maurice is just a jerk. So, Belle reveals that her research has uncovered... Glorious tales of creatures who have the ability to restore and unlock people's memories. She wants to go find them. But Maury says no because magic always comes with a price. And he can't stand the idea of losing his daughter to whatever price the magic may require. Okay. I get the whole sheltering dad thing. You don't want to let your daughter go out to the prom. Um, I get it, dude. Okay, I'm beyond that. But at the same time, from what I can tell, at this point, Belle is a grown woman. And... um. Time to let it go, homie. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, let it go. Okay, so then Maurice forbids <laughs> Belle from leaving. And basically, like, Ashley, like what you said, he grounds her. Although she's having none of it. And she pulls out a map of Arendelle, and Homegirl is on her way. Um, back at the Storybook Library, though, Belle and Elsa have come up with nothing on Arendelle or Anna, and part of the reason for that is because Belle has hidden the Arendelle map that we just saw in the flashback. Now, very shady. Very shady. And I like the fact, honestly, mm-hmm. I like the, that they are giving Belle this layer of of lying and keeping secrets because She's always kind of been the one who's like, you know, oh, I, I love you. I'm going to save you from yourself with Rumpelstiltskin. And she gets on him about lying to her. But now she's lying. Maybe not to him, but she's lying too. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, and even though it's not done in a malicious way, she's doing it, you know, partly to, I kind of get where she's coming from. She wants to protect that information until she knows more about what happened. She doesn't want to say, hey, here's what happened. It's my fault without being like, you know, but I have some additional information for you. Um, so I get where she's coming from, but also, and it's obviously, it's never a good idea for somebody to lie. But I think the fact that she's doing that, it's developing Belle more as a character and showing that she's not just this goody two-shoes librarian bookworm who, as Regina says, has no teeth. Um 
you know, and just sits around all the time waiting for Rumpel to come rescue her from whatever kidnapping situation she seems to find herself in. So um, I I like the fact that they're giving Belle a little bit of a darker side and the fact that it's paralleling what's happening with Rumpel so much and him. Like, those two now are almost becoming mirrors for each other as well, which any good, you know, relationship, partnership, marriage soulmate true love situation that's the way that it should be you should reflect your partner you know you should be a reflection of your partner in a good way so that you lift each other up but you know at a certain point too if you're reflecting each other's bad sides or darker sides then that gives you the opportunity to change that about yourself because mm-hmm. you're seeing that reflected in the other person and so you know as if you can see yourself in the other person in good times and bad and you want to change those things and become a better person, then your partner, you know, that allows you to do that. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Totally. No, you totally yeah, are because definitely. I think that um, a lot of times, I know for me personally, if I'm having a problem, I'm often too close to the situation to really recognize, like, if what I'm doing might be an issue. So that's why I ask advice of others because I'm like, well, you have fresh eyes. You're looking at this. You're not in my head, so you're seeing how I'm putting myself out there. Do you know what I mean? Um, Mm. So you can tell me how I'm coming off, how I'm reflecting, um, and help me fix that flaw. Um, So I totally get where you're coming from with that. Whereas if you have a good partnership with someone and they reflect each other's both good and bad attributes, they are able to see those attributes and work on them together as well. Because I also think if they are reflecting each other and, and they're, they're working together on them, it'll be easier to talk about things like that as opposed to somebody who you're really not connecting with and you, you are afraid to share as much with. Amy, go ahead. Oh. No, I, I agree. I think that the mirror image thing is definitely like a a very key point because it is hard to relate to another person on an honest level where you can communicate and give feedback if that person is not seeing you and you're not seeing them for basically what you and they really are. And when you have those similarities and you are kind of bouncing things off of each other, it's so much easier. You can see it in them, and then it makes it easier to see in yourself. And sometimes, you know, you don't always like what you see. Sometimes it is, you know, a darker side. It's not, you know, it's not always going to be rainbows and unicorn stickers, but I I think that that whole mirror image is definitely an appropriate metaphor for the relationship between them and, you know, just in general in our own lives. I know I personally feel that way, you know, about my husband. I feel like we're very similar. And when I need, like Ashley said, a fresh set of eyes, I need someone to look and I can, you know, talk to him and bounce ideas back and forth. He can see things that I'm not seeing, but, you know, and I can see things in him. So I absolutely agree. Ah, see, this is the beginning of a little bit deeper discussion that we mentioned earlier, everybody's listening. Um, 
this is just an example of how this show, show you know, displays or portrays rather real life situations in their own maybe truncated way. It's abbreviated, if you will. They can't go into it and in that, that they cannot go into it at the same depth as you do in real life because it's a television show. But it okay. still relates to life in a very big way. And I actually want to jump ahead a little bit in this episode and keep this discussion going. Because, obviously, for this part of the storyline, Belle and Elsa are in the library. They're looking for information about Anna. They can't find anything. Elsa's getting upset. Belle says she's going to go take care of some things. She goes to Rumpel's um, pawn shop. She's getting supplies. She's looking for a pickaxe so that she can go climb something from what it appears or defend herself or both. Um, she uses the dagger to command Rumpel. Well, she thinks she uses the dagger to command Rumpel to take her to the Snow Queen, um, mm-hmm. which he has to oblige to because he doesn't want her to know that he's lying, so he has to go along with it. Um, but right there, that is another example of Belle showing, showcasing another side of herself and being darker because... As I mean, I don't really think that any of us would have ever thought that Bell would use the dagger in that way against him. I know I would I would not have thought that before. But I mean, it, as the events unfolded in the episode, it organically became that situation. But I wasn't I did not foresee that coming when he first gave her the dagger. I don't know about the two of you, Amy. I didn't either. I thought for sure because Bell throughout this entire show has been one of the characters who is almost always taken, you know, she always has the moral high ground. She's always about do the right thing. You know, you can't lie. You shouldn't do this. You know, you have to do what's right. And I loved Belle in Skin Deep, but I feel like since then we've really gotten away from what her character could be and we get little glimpses of it. But I really like that they are showing this in her, that nobody is all what they seem to be. No, it, nobody is this pinnacle of high morality. Like, you know, she actually has a real side and she has things happening with her. For me, I feel like, um, well, first off, I had I didn't think that she would use the dagger of her own volition. The way, because you know how the way they cut the the previews to you know get the sensationalism, the you know like the highest oohs and ahs. I honestly thought that perhaps she would be using it to defend herself somehow from Rumble. I didn't know because again. I'm so in the dark with this season that I'm just like, well, anything could happen. But the <laughs> fact that she without any immediate threat, with pre-planning, had that dagger in her hand and pretty much was saying, I got to do what I got to do. That was big for me, for Belle. Um, and you could see her struggling. Like, I love I love Emily's acting in that scene when she's raising the dagger and it's a shot of Robert Carlyle, but you see her hand and it's, I wouldn't even call it trembling. Like, she was shaking like a leaf just having that mm-hmm. dagger out in front of her. Um, so you could see she was really, really struggling with this. Um, even a few episodes earlier, when who, whoever was it was it um, it was Hook and Emma and Elsa were trying to get her to use the dagger to prove that Rubble wasn't lying, and she was like, no, no, I, you know, just, she she seems like so just put off and disgusted by like 
use the dagger on my husband? How could I? Now that she's put in a desperate situation and she realizes she's running off options and grasping at straws and she's she's a lot more like her husband than I think that anybody any of us anybody gives her really credit for. And I find that very yeah. Yeah, Belle's character, I'm I really like where they took her and um speaking of Emily's acting, let's discuss that in just a moment as we move the storyline a little bit further along here. Because after Belle commands Rumple to um after after she commands Rumple to take her to the the Snow Queen's cave, he complies. She tells him to wait outside. And she goes inside and encounters the Snow Queen's mirror. Okay. Mm. Favorite scene of the episode. Agreed. 1,000% agreed. Watching this Mm -hmm. happen, first of all, again, it's another brilliant incorporation of the mirror from the original fairy tale into the story. The mirror reflecting only the bad side, only allowing you to see the flaws in, in yourself, number one. Um, but also seeing it in other people and the way that Belle's reflection is just telling her that, you know, when she had the line, deep down you know what kind of beast you're dealing with. Oh, my good Lord. I, uh, yeah. That that was probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite line of the entire night. Um, the other one being Regina's line about storming an evil ice cream truck. But, um, oh, and the, other, and the other one about Captain Guyliner. But um, that was trending. That got trending. I think that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. But that scene with the mirror was so intense, so powerful, beautifully shot. By the way, um, I love the Snow Queen's ice cave. I think it's awesome. Um, but that that scene was just so powerful, and Emily really brought her acting ability to the fore. I cannot give her enough kudos for the way that she portrayed Belle in this scene. Um, I I love two bells actually. Two bells. Yeah, she did evil bell and then the good bell, and I just I thought that it was fantastic. Ashley, please share your opinions on this scene. Well, first off, I thought I this for me because it was the beginning of the descent into holy cow. This is really creepy. I mean, there are some Snow Queen things that I have opinions on because. Like you guys have said in the chat room, she's like the Annie Wilkes from Misery of Storybook right now. But going back to Belle, when the scene started out and you could hear that like ethereal voice, I first thought it was going to be Colette talking to her. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. But the fact that it was Belle talking to herself, I thought was was better for this scene. Um, and it was very – first off, this, this is a scary movie trope, like having the mirror do something that you're – you're not doing like that's just scary yeah. regardless like i'm not gonna lie to you that night i was brushing my teeth and i was like looking in my my medicine chest like okay <laughs> no but in a more serious uh in a more serious vein i wonder i wonder how much truth this mirror actually holds like for me watching this episode this mirror was almost a reflection i think of it was Belle's darker side, but it was almost her dark subconscious, the 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 thoughts, the bad thoughts that bring you down, the worries and the doubt was being manifested in mm-hmm. this mirror because whether or not the mirror, you know, whatever it was, it was 
truthful, it still said something that was true, and that was the fact that the dagger was fake. And so I, I, it makes me think, like, did Belle, does she know in the back of her head? Has this a thing, is this a thing she's been worrying about? Or is this just dark magic playing with her mind? And I, I'm leaning more towards the fact that this is, a, obviously it's a reflection of Belle, but it is a true reflection of a part of Belle that she kind of crunches deep down inside and it's just aggressively coming at her and slapping her in the face, and that's why she's getting so upset, because these are the things that have been flicking around in the back of her head for so long right right in front of her, and she can't do anything about it. And that, to me, is what really makes this scene, and it makes, it makes me all the more intrigued about this mirror and the spell that goes with it, because if this is what it does to one person... If there's a gigantic evil spell coming that's going to use this mirror and do this to many people, mm. the town is literally going to murder itself. And I, I want to see what other people are seeing in themselves. That are there their fears and their doubts, or the things that they don't want others to see. That things that they're hiding that are getting reflected and shown through everyone, the things that they have to confront. It's just, this, this, my mind's going a million miles per hour because this is one of the things that really got me thinking during the episodes, this scene with the mirror. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and that's actually, um, before we get into the deeper part of the discussion, I'm going to bring Sarah Egan on. Sarah wanted to share some thoughts with us last week and she wasn't able to and now she wants to i uh, just jump in on this discussion a little bit. So, Sarah, we're going to bring you on the line here. And then after we're done talking to Sarah, guys, I want to get back into the discussion about um, our main topic for the off-topic discussion. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're going to do. All right. So, Sarah, you should be on the line with us. Are you there? Hello. Yes. Hey, sweetie. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Not a problem. I got really so go ahead. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I got lucky to where my idea crossed over into this week's episode, and most likely next week, next week's episode as well, because um, I was doing my mythology homework as I was listening to the podcast last week, and last week's coverage was the theme of a hero, and one line that popped out immediately to me, and I have it written down here right next to my computer, heroes of all traditions must confront monsters of the collective nightmare. And after the whole scene with the mirror, I'm like, oh, my God, that's one form of it. And I cannot wait to see, like, how that unfolds to many others, especially to the heroes in the town and to our former villains, now heroes. And it's it was very, like, eye-opening when I read that last week and then I'm like, oh my god, I gotta share this. Yeah, that's Definitely. a very when you, when you said that it actually kind of um almost gave me chills because uh not well n- number one, your delivery of it was fantastic. But number two, um that 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 is such an interesting point and it really does have to do with literature and mythology and you know, even those of us, you know, who are here in kind of the real world, so to speak, experiencing these things, it, you know, it's just a metaphor for life. So I think that that's very interesting. And, the, and the, like, basically, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I'm getting out of what you just said is that the Snow Queen is the collective monster 
which is making everybody see the darker <clears throat> versions of the and they will be seeing it by the time her storyline is finished. I could see that happening, yeah. It's I just know that she is crazy psychotic from what she wants huh. from the end after the end of the episode, I'm like, Oh god, this is gonna be insane. And now that they have the crazy girl from Walking Dead on and I'm like, just just look at the flowers, Lizzie. Just, just look at the flowers. Any Walking Dead fans would completely understand yeah. that. Because I'm like, oh, God. This is... And me and my friends, oh my we were, God. We were fangirling our butts off at school when we when I told her, oh, my God, this little girl is going to be from Walking Dead is going to be on. Uh, you know be, be playing a little Liz. And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. That's going to be awesome, but I think that part of what you said and part of what Ashley and Zach were talking about with the mirror, I that for so long the Snow Queen has been seen as a monster. I think that that is what the deal with the mirror is. I think it makes, I don't think it shows anything that's not true. I think it shows you your own darker side and so that is what her curse to everyone is going to be everyone is going to see themselves as a horrible person or a monster the way she's been looked at her entire life like something to be feared and something and horrible. you know what that kind of it kind of makes sense as well because when rumple took a glimpse at it he he wasn't he was unaffected by it as yeah. well as she was so I noticed that right away, and like I said, I I think you guys mentioned it before. I couldn't tell if it was the lighting or special effects, but the her eyes in the reflection was really creepy. Like I couldn't, I honestly couldn't tell which one it was. I want to know what it is, just to. It was so honestly. It was. I have a I have a film production background. It was lighting. They basically used a. Um, it's a it's a lighting rig that basically is like a vanity mirror where the lighting is all around. And um, they put that around the lens of the camera, so when you're looking directly into the camera, it creates that perfect halo in your eye. And that's what that that's is. Perfect. That's actually really creepy. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So it was really effective too. And you know, I'm just thinking. And Sarah, thank you very much for calling. I gotta. Uh, we gotta get back to the discussion because we've got about 20 minutes left. We still have a lot that no, we gotta have on. No, not a problem. Not a problem. I want to just say one more thing about the topic that you brought up. And the fact that this will make everybody see the darker side of themselves. Snow and Charming share a heart, and one of them has a darker side. Oh, so, ooh, I like the collective ooh there. So, I think that that <laughs> be, I think that that's going to have a real effect on Snow and Charming too, because whichever one of them has the darker side, and I am praying that it's Charming, um, mm-hmm. because because we've already seen because, and here's why. We already know from the fact that we met his brother James, his twin, his mirror, if you will, that James was the darker side of those two. Granted, it might be because of his upbringing, but James was still the darker half of the charming twins. And so the fact that we know that that those character traits exist in James and that they could very well exist in, in charming too, that I really want it to be charming because, number one, Snow has already had her brush with darkness when she killed Korra. We've already kind of uh-huh. seen that. We also saw in the moment where she slapped Geppetto in season two. We saw that happening. Snow's already showed her darker side. 
charming heretofore has been, you know, with the exception of the Bo Peep episode of Whiteout when we saw him really struggling with, you know, his father and, and darkness and he wasn't quite the brave man we all know him to be today. Charming has never wavered from being that, you know, that place of strength and hope and faith for not only Snow White, but the other characters as well. Um, particularly, particularly, you know, it was reflected in the episode We Are Both, which if you think about that is another mirror parallel because of the fact that they're now both sides of the curse. They are their, their storybook personas and their fairy tale sides. They're mirrors of each other there too, which is originally what the Dark Curse did anyway is that, you know, when it when it cursed them, I really think that it showed them maybe not their darker side, but their weaker side. I mean, everybody weak. And in this way, the snow, and it affected Snow White. Snow is the queen. Now I've got the Snow Queen here. She's doing her whole thing. This, oh my God, I'm just having an epiphany in my brain. Oh, that must hurt. Um, because it really is showing, like, how, how all of this is so interconnected. Do you guys see all the threads that are being connected here now and how it's, so it relates back to everything in so many ways. Please tell me I'm not crazy. No, no, I'm seeing totally and that's why crazy. I'm silent. I'm, I'm like sitting here nodding my head like you can see it like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, yes, oh, yes. And it's, 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 it's why I like this show, man. I, I can't, that's the simplest way I could say it, especially with only about 20 minutes left in the podcast. This, the fact that we can look as deep as we do into this show is why I like it. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Where I'm having to think about this a lot. I I just, and that's the thing is like, I find myself pausing and, and trying to find my way back to my path of thinking because you can go, especially with, with thinking about things like with the mirror, with the snow queen and her agenda, you can, you can go on tangents of tangents of tangents that all make sense and all kind of, loop back on each other it's hard to be okay so wait where was my first main theory and how did it branch out from it's like henry's family tree it just explodes like yeah related to everyone <laughs> well my theories are related to everything up, yeah. absolutely i'm loving it sarah thank you again so much for calling and bringing this up because you have led us to this great conclusion and helped me not only me but obviously ashley and amy don't want to speak for you guys but you've led us to this fantastic kind of conclusion and honestly i don't think i would have gotten there if you hadn't called so i'm really really grateful that you gave us a call thank you very much sweetie yay for school yay for me doing yay for school. Yay for school. Yay for <laughs> All right, we'll talk, we'll see you in the chat room, bed. Yes. All right, Sarah Egan, everybody, thank you very much for. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so glad that we had this little brain idea together because now when I go back and and I listen to this podcast and it's gonna make um it's gonna be a lot easier to analyze future episodes based on this discussion. So I'm I'm really mm-hmm. like loving it. Wow. Okay. So um. Yeah, the mirror, and oh my god, so many things. So, um, you know, we also saw a scene. I almost don't want to get off of this topic, but oh no, the mirror. No, we have our main topic of discussion. Okay, so <laughs> the fact that you know the mirror is basically, you know, showing Belle her darker side. You know, I think that that really is an issue that 
we all have to deal with. Everybody in the world, you know, it's been said in many times, many stories, many genres, many films, television shows, books, comic books, you name it, it's been in it. We all face a darker side of ourselves that we have to come to terms with. We all have light and dark inside of us. And, you know, coming to grips with that and, you know, wanting to, you know, be a good person, to, you know, really strive towards becoming a better person, to recognizing the darker side of yourself and wanting to let it go, so to speak, and, you know, strive for something better, to be better than what you are now. Um, I mean, it, I mean, honestly, the first person that I think of, and it's funny, if you haven't seen the show, then it's probably not a reference that you're going to get, but I, it makes me think of Data from Star Trek The Next Generation because... Mm he wants to be something more than what he is. It makes me think of Robin Williams' character from Bicentennial Man wanting to be more than what he is. Um, so many different characters in pop culture and literature have gone through the same struggle. And, you know, this, even though, you know, it's a show about, yeah, fairy tale characters and, you know, playing on familiar tropes and things like that, I think that the way that they're doing this, as we were just discussing, is really... I mean, it's. I've said it before, and I will say it again every time. It's it's brilliant storytelling. It really is. The introduction of the Snow Queen has brought new levels of depth to the show, of of metaphor, of um, of just so many things to the show, to the show, to the story. It's and the fact of the matter is that the Snow Queen, the main story, the main fairy tale itself, has to do with reflections. And this uh, show has always been a reflection yeah. of humanity mm-hmm. and our good and bad sides. It's always been that way. And the mm-hmm. fact that they are in the story that has to do with reflections and a good side and a bad side, I am, I am so in love with what they're doing right now. Um, <laughs> Zach, can I interrupt yeah. you for a moment? I don't. I really um, did want to cut you off, but are you looking in the chat room? I am looking in the chat room. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I have. I'm it's sorry. Transfer. Um, it looks like Victoria Smurpet has just confirmed on um, Twitter that she is going to be Cruella Deville. Yes, I'm looking at it right now on Twitter. She did confirm. I super, don't know if she's yeah, supposed to do here's that. What here's what she said. Super excited about playing about playing Cruella for such an iconic show as Once Upon a Time ABC. Um, yes, I will now. Um, I will now permit, commence with the freaking of the out. Um, <laughs> well, you heard it here that. first, folks. You did hear it here first. I mean, you heard it at the beginning. Why does this always, you know what? I swear to God, somebody who is listening to this podcast live, they do this on purpose because this is not the first time that breaking news has happened while we've been on the air, and it's something that we discussed earlier the in the hour. It's the third time. I'm looking at you, Entertainment Weekly and TV Line and everybody else. I, somebody, whoever is listening, number one, thank you for listening. But number two, mm, yeah. Okay. Um, so thoughts on her confirmation? <laughs> oh no, 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 not even, not even, not. Nope. I'm screen. I'm screenshotting it. I am. 
Yeah, screenshot it because I bet somebody's going to make her take it down. I would completely bet on that. So yeah. I got a little. I, I got a little. Uh, an adrenaline rush at this. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew that's who she was. I what? knew that was who she was. I think we're Hold all speechless. We're like, okay. I know. Everybody's like, oh my god. <laughs> You're yeah, right. Sure like, do. Remember the last time this happened, Amy, was when we were talking about Maleficent, and then they announced that she was coming back on once, remember? Yes. And we had been talking for like a couple of weeks about how badly we hoped that since True Blood was over that they could get her back. And I was like, wait a second. There it is. Yay. Ah, so much fun. Ooh, okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to the mirror. <laughs> Back to the mirror. Um, I can't even. Okay. Do we want? Um, we only got a few minutes left. Do we want to take a, a couple of minutes to uh, speak a little bit about the uh, Snow Queen? Yes, the Snow Queen at the end. Um, Ashley, I would like you to please lead this discussion because um, I, yeah, just just take it because I you I think you're more coherent than I am. Oh, because it's my new obsession is just how. Oh, before we do that, I just want to say that since the Queen of Arendelle is named Gerda, I will put money on the fact that the Queen's name is Kai, just like in the fairy tale. Okay, go. I would agree with you. I won't take that bet because I think you're right. But um, for me, the Snow Queen, the last few scenes of this episode really, okay, bluntly, creeped me the hell out in the best kind of way. Because the Snow Queen has proven herself to be utterly unhinged. And she basically has been striving towards this goal, this happy family, this idyllic scene or fantasy in her head. And she really doesn't have a conscience like the other villains that we see on the show have. Regina had Henry, Rumble had Neil Fire. Um, even Zelina had her relationship with Rumble as a teacher and a mentor, father figure kind of going on there. And then Pan had Rumple as well. They all kind of had someone to kind of be their check, to kind of humanize them a bit. The Snow Queen doesn't have that, and I will bet money that we'll find out this next episode. I think she accidentally killed the one sister with her ice powers, and that's why she got put in the urine. They were like, wow, you are dangerous, and we don't understand you, so we're going to put you in a box. Um, we, we shall see if that's the case. But because the Snow Queen doesn't have anybody to be her check, to reflect with and bounce those ideas off, that fresh pair of eyes we were talking about earlier, she's been in her head for too long, and she's her her utter obsession with having that family back together has consumed her to the point where she's like serial killer mode here. Like I'm I'm she's the kind of person who abducts people and plays out her fantasies because that's essentially what she's going to do. It really creeped me out even early on in her introduction in the flashback when she was talking to Anna and she's like, "Oh, you look so much like your mother." Completely innocent line, but when you go back into the end of the episode and she's like. Well, we thought you would. I thought you would work out with Elsa and our family, but 
we're just going to have to find somebody to replace you. Like, tell me you didn't get a chill. Her face is right up in Anna's, and she's right up in her grill, and she's like, you're replaceable. I'm going to find somebody else to, like, wear your skin. And then basically she's she has stalked Emma Swan since the moment she has pretty much arrived in this realm to uh, have her assume the role of her sister and is willing to obliterate everybody else in Storybrooke so that she and Emma and Elsa can play happy families forever and ever and ever. I'm dying to know where that prophecy came from because, like, in the translation that we've seen, you guys know Sam from What's Upon a Fan did a translation. It doesn't actually read word for word the way Elsa said it. So I almost think that it, I mean, it's another prophecy written by somebody else about Emma and the Snow Queen kind of latched onto it. She, it's, it's her. It's again. She's in her own head, and she's trying to mold things to work out for her her happy ending. And actually, I just thought about this right now. If if what if what went south for her, um, uh-huh, south because it's cold, um, like the South Pole. If what went south for her when she was a child, happened, or rather, she got put into the urn while she was a child. I wonder how. Did she grow up in the urn? Is she still essentially a child, like a child's mind in a woman's body? Kind of how Regina was very immature, um, but still acting as the evil queen. Or even Anna from Wonderland, where she was assuming a role of an evil queen or because she thought that's how a queen should act. But really, she was just a scared girl who had lost her true love. And she's like playing at it. She's playing well, not even that. Is she the part. Is she not aware of of the consequences of her actions, or is she just, I want it and I want it now? Is she Farouk assaulting, yes. you know what I mean? Don't care how I want it now. But that's essentially exactly. what it is. She's she's literally stamping her foot in a magical sense where she's going to cast off this, this ridiculous curse just so she can get some sort of a family because, she's, I guess, this coldness, that she gives off is also coldness that she's felt from everybody who's in, who's mm-hmm. been in her life. Which is why I think that's what she wants for everyone from the mirror. I think she wants everyone to see themselves and be seen. Horrible thing to be feared. And here's an interesting thing about the mirror. Um, so she's been collecting those pieces for it looks like a while now. I wonder if that mirror still kind of worked while it was still in repair. If she's been in solitude for so long, listening to the things that that mirror has to whisper in her ear, I wonder if that's what really kind of put her over the deep end and made her cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, if having to listen to the darker parts of your personality... (laughs) It has driven her crazy. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) She's crazy as a coconut, man, and I love it, though. I really, I think she is the most pure villainous villain that we've had. And I think I, you said it first, I think, Zach, and I'm agreeing with you. She's not so much an antagonist as Rumpel and Regina were. No. She's a villain. She's bad. She's a And you know why? And, and here's why. Because even though... All the other villains, in some level, believe what they were doing was right. Even the detestable Peter Pan, 
they all had a reason why they were doing what they were doing, and you could kind of understand it. Peter Pan kind of at the bottom of that list because he was a jerk who abandoned his kids so that he could be, you know, a, a kid forever himself. But then again, that whole thing was just a, a literal interpretation of Peter Pan syndrome. So, which I don't know if we ever mentioned that, but that's exactly what that is. So, um, God, we only have a minute and a half left. How? So, anyways, um, I think that what what makes the Snow Queen so terrifying is that she is completely. I mean, it's not only that she feels that she's doing the right thing, but that she's so completely insane that she's like, "Hello, I'm going to kill everyone, and the three of us are going to play together, and we'll be forever and ever, and I shall hug you and love you and screen you and call you George." Like that, she's George. such. She's she's insane, and that is what we have a minute left. Okay, cool. So, everybody, um, thank you very much for listening to this week's Once Upon a Fan podcast. We will be back with next week. Um, you know, let's – and, oh, wait, what's – oh, wait, next week? What's next week? Is next week the big one? Is, no, next it's week the one is, after that. Okay. The one after that is, is the big one. Is that, yeah, so um, just keep in mind, everybody, that in two weeks from now, November 18th, we're going to be having a special two-hour podcast because we have a two-hour-long episode to discuss. Um, next week's episode is The Snow Queen, where we find out lots of history, and I have it on very, very good authority, trust me, that um, this episode and The Snow Queen's origins are some of the fav- is one of the favorite origin stories of Adam and Eddie. I have it on good authority. Trust me. Uh, we'll be back Absolutely. next week at our new 530. Thank you all for listening. Good night. Night. Good night, guys.